Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. At the Invest South Jersey 2022-2023 launch conference, our first panel discussion was titled Talent Pipeline, how collaboration among educational institutions and the business community can transform the future workforce. The panel was moderated by Monica Adia, Dean of Rutgers Camden Business School. The panelists included Frederick Keating, President of Rowan College, South Jersey, Anthony Lohman, Professor and Provost, Senior Vice President for Academic Affairs at Rowan University, Meredy Hancock, President of Thomas Edison State University, and Philip Heath, President and CEO of Samaritan Healthcare and Hospice. Thank you and please enjoy. So I wanted to open with a broad question. As companies are, as, as we're seeing these labor shortages and transitions in the workplace, I'd like to hear from our panelists a little bit about um, how they are seeing industries adapt uh, to the workforce shortages and, and what the ramifications of these uh, adaptations are um, on the workforce and specific roles within uh, companies. So for example, as we are um, seeing workforce shortages, there's technological uh, adaptation that is disrupting certain jobs. Um, we're looking at internal companies are looking at inter internal efficiencies and changing the nature of certain jobs um, to address the workforce shortages. To the panelists, um, what jobs or roles do you see being most impacted by the adjustments that are happening in the industry? Um, and in what ways are our institutions responding to these adaptations? I'll begin with Fred, um, since you're right next to me. Okay, uh, well, first of all, you know, when we reflect, listening to the mayor, as, as we reflect, we're a county college, uh, some are here, uh, we're positioned literally in the middle between the high school population or the K-12 population and the higher education in which we have a premier partner at the university. So we're kind of in the middle that we get, I think we get the opportunity to watch the traffic. Uh, we really can see it from both both ends. Um, the, the type of jobs I would leave to the industry to discuss. Later, my one question will be with regard to the Inspira relationship, which I believe to me in participating here is really the answer to our entire perspective of the change. Yes, we were heading in this direction. Pandemic was the accelerant. It literally put steroidal growth on it. So what, what we're seeing in our sector is the population coming up, K-12, and the population that we have, and then it's, you know, interest in going on, is pretty much, I believe, uh, is crippled to the point that the pandemic just went in and squashed it. So now what we have to do and what we're doing and later to your question for me specifically, is finding partners in industry. I use the analogy of the dog to our staff, the tail and the dog. Education always thought it was the dog wagging industry and business, which was the tail. I believe, we believe this is now gone and it should be the reverse. So we went to industry and we said, what is it you need for the workforce that you're experiencing now? Recognize, recognizing the qualitative, quantitative, less of them and the qualitative aspect of how they're prepared. It's different. So quickly for my two seconds in this in this volley, um, we're going to preach today this idea that the reversal of relationship now is the business and industry must be the leader of the conversation. 
chambers of commerce, workforce development, rooms like this. If you have a business, you're going to have to go to a, I believe you're going to have to go to a higher ed entity and seek marriage. And in doing so, it's not a handshake anymore. It's literally entrenched so that the workforce dictates the rules of engagement and the credentialing of the people. That's how we work. And once you have that understanding, it's the job of education to adapt to the workforce and that nature of training. Forget what we've been doing for 50 years to a century and change it, which is hard because we're silo driven between labor and education. We don't talk. We have lunch and breakfast, but we don't talk. So later we'll speak about the idea you want me to answer. And I, I apologize if, if I'm taking more than my 30 seconds on this. But bottom line, it's it's as an athlete, former athlete, listening to the mayor, uh, we are in the fourth quarter, we're down 10 and, and you, you're looking for the last gasp. So post pandemic is to businesses, you are not going to survive unless education responds. And education has to be a widespread issue of, in our arena, technicians, entry level, as well as sending them on to research universities for that completion. We need a workforce of career tech as much as we need a workforce that's driving into health and business and finance and other. Balance the ship, listen to those who have need, and you do every day we hear. Uh, we then respond, we design a research program, and we have to deliver. Uh, I'd like to touch it later about Inspira, but I'll pass to my colleagues. I'm sorry if I took too long. Thanks. Thanks, Fred. That was actually a, a, I think, a perfect segue into into our role in in higher education, and and you know, for industry to survive, higher ed needs to readapt and survive. And I think our our days of sitting back and and waiting for the students to come to us and preparing them the way we want to prepare them, and then you take them and do what you want. That's over. We we have to prepare your workforce to be ready from from day one. We have to look at alternate pathways through the higher ed. We have to look at different ways of credentialing our students, and we have to see what what works for them to learn when they want, where they want, how they want, and most importantly, having them prepared to go to work for you. So our our whole model is changing. You know, we I can think of you know, going to the to the mayor's comments about the new Camden High School. We we're actively in, engaged with the superintendent McCombs on designing the curriculum, designing pathways so that the students walk out of there ready to go to a two-year school, to go to a four-year school, to go straight into the workforce. And, and that's important. And we have to be at the table for those discussions because I think the days of, of a student walking out of high school and making the decision, am I going to go to work and make a career or am I going to go to college and get educated and make a career is over. We have to find ways to do both. We have to find ways for them to stack the credentials. That's why, that's one of the reasons we we set forth the partnership we have with with Rowan College of South Jersey and Rowan College of Burlington County uh, six seven years ago was to to provide the way to train students to meet employers' needs to be listening to you to get ahead of the curve. I look at I look at two areas of job growth that are that are that are hitting South Jersey. They're going to be big for us: wind energy and cannabis. And and five, six years ago, we sat down and we said, what are, what are the credentials are going to be needed? These are coming. What are the skills? How do we make sure that when when the employers and the industry wants to be here, how are we training training the students? I mean, I, I think one of the most interesting things and in, that we've done that shows how we're shifting in higher ed is that 
Rowan and RCSJ, we we work with the Department of Labor, we work with the trade industries, and and now we have a apprenticeship program in cannabis retail. And forget what your opinions are on 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 cannabis. It's it's like it or not, it's coming, and it's going to be a big industry that's going to make the mark. And and it's our job to train the workforce. Uh, same thing with with wind energy. We're ahead of the game. Students could go to RCSJ, get a credential, go to work, finish their degree up at Rowan. So these are these are the pathways that that we need to be doing in addition to what we already do: training engineers and scientists and and uh, leaders in healthcare. And before I turn it over, it, you know, I think healthcare is an area that we all need to be involved. We all need to be training that that next workforce. You know, the pandemic hit us hard. It drove a lot of our healthcare workers out. There was already a shortage, and and now we need to to think think bigger. And you know, a great example for that for us is our partnership with Virtua, which happened very rapidly during the pandemic, and I think is going to be transformational for both organizations. Creating an entire new college dedicated towards training more doctors, more healthcare professionals, bringing on new new programs, not just. With Rowan doing it, but Rowan working with its county college partnerships, and, and we're excited bringing on new new programs. We'll be starting a new four year nursing program in addition to our three plus one programs we already offer. We'll be bringing on programs in physician assistants, respiratory therapists. So we listened to to our industry partners, our healthcare partners, saying, "What do you need?" And I think all of our industries need to come forward, tell us what. What do you need? How can we help you? And between our high schools, trade schools, county colleges, and four-year institutions, we can help you fill your workforce. So, Thank you. Thomas Edison is in a unique spot in New Jersey. For folks who aren't familiar with it, we were founded about 50 years ago to fill in the gaps. And it's, it's a sketchy economic model, and I'll get into that in a second. But it was really designed to say, what about the people who do go right into the workforce? What about the people who maybe start school and stop out? How do we keep them on the track with the real focus around, we saw this in the military when people would transfer and keep having to be set back and some credit would be accepted, some evaluation of military credit would be accepted. So Edison was formed by, I think, some pretty smart people in the 70s to say, let's make sure in New Jersey that we keep those people who go straight to work, we keep them moving forward. And we make sure that we're constantly opening doors. My, um, I don't have the tail and the dog so much, but I always talk about stairwells. Our students are in stairwells and Thomas Edison's job is to make sure we're right in front of them. So we always get them the next credential. We award, we honor the credit that they have to make sure the door opens like right before they get to it. So there's a number of moves around to hire people. I know folks are familiar with a group we partner with called 110. Their goal is to hire 1 million non-degreed black talent into good family paying jobs in 10 years. If you do the math, that makes me sweat and I'm pretty aggressive. Um, but then our idea with them is saying, okay, now how do we make sure that those people can keep moving up? And that's normally where a degree comes from. Last year, we gave away over 66,000 credits from work-based learning. And this is where the model is sketchy. If you do the math on that, that means Thomas Edison said, hey, $25 million in tuition revenue. Let's not take that. Let's go ahead and award the credit because we know the people have done the learning. They know it. Our average student is 35, a very different age group than the person coming straight in. We have students in every county in New Jersey. And I'm, I want to repeat what we've said repeatedly on the 
relationship from industry and education. It's across the board. It's from high schools, it's community colleges, it's four-year research institutions, it's institutions like Thomas Edison that are very, very career and practitioner-based, making sure that we're linked in. There's about 39 million people in the U.S. that have some credit, no credential. That's what do employers do with that? We have to be working more closely with industry and have tough conversations. Tell us what you need. How do we get it? And not just, I think any president will say, when you talk to somebody in a company, you go to the hiring manager, they talk skills, kind of what's the, what's the student's major. You talk to the CEO and they say, we're missing soft skills. We're missing critical thinking. We're missing fuzzy logic. We're missing analytics. They go more for the general ed, liberal studies, liberal arts approach. At institutions, we've got to figure out how to get that to everybody in a timely manner. And for Thomas Edison, we have to do it while the train's running down the runway, or train's going down the runway, that's about right in Thomas Edison, but while the plane's going down the runway and they're trying to take care of kids or trying to take care of aging family members or trying to move on the job and stay competitive. And we've got to keep saying, what's that next, what's that credential you need to have to give you value in the marketplace? So it's a, it's a dynamic, exciting time these days. Um, Say so not for the faint of heart, as I think my colleagues would agree. Mr. Heath, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Monica, for the question as well. And it's interesting uh, that I'm the last person to speak after the higher education folks because I represent business and uh, represent uh, organizations, particularly nonprofit uh, healthcare uh, in this region. But what's interesting is that when I came on board, I'm relatively new as a CEO at Samaritan. When I came on board, I thought about two things that really drives what we do. It's our uh, optimizing our services and, uh, and our technology, and it's our affiliations and partnerships. Uh, the way we're successful is through our affiliations and partnerships. And so when we look at the uh, employees that we have, our employees uh, come to us needing a certification or a license because we're a healthcare organization. So we need RNs, we need social workers, uh, home health aides. But what we do realize is that we have some folks who come to us who may have the experience but need deeper certification. And so when we saw this workforce shortage uh, coming about, what we decided to do was partner with other organizations like Rowan, like uh, uh, I think it's Camden Works uh, and others so that we could train our individuals and then bring them on and give people an opportunity uh, because we do have some people who have had another career before they've come, uh, before they've joined us. But our business is different than uh, most businesses where when folks went home during the pandemic, we didn't. And so we have to figure out how do we keep providing care to the people of our community? And so with our high touch, uh, 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 with our high touch, uh, uh, high care, uh, environment, what we wanted to do is to ensure that we had the right technology to be able to do that. We did that through telemedicine and telehealth, uh, and we did that by optimizing our technology, getting the right tools uh, that would somehow speak to each other so that we could provide that kind of care that was needed for our community. And, and you'll hear later we, what we've uh, talked about or what we've created is an institute to help us with education, research, and innovation uh, but it's through a partnership with uh, in particular and uh, and then our affiliations with our other healthcare partners in the region. 
Great, thank you. So a common theme as as um, as we hear, there is a desire both ways and an interest and strong tra- track record of partnerships already. And, and I think we'll do a little bit more deep dive with some of the next questions, which are more individually tailored. So I'll, I'll begin with uh, Dr. Keating. Um, last year, there was a premier partnership that was announced with Inspira Health to educate um, and retain future healthcare professionals. We'd love to learn a little bit more about that partnership um, and how it's helping um, the the organization, but also what are other such partnerships that, that might be in the uh, horizon for you? Okay, thank you. Well, I'm going to go back and say this is this is my two cents for the whole day. Um, rip this page. I'm going to say rip this page out of our book, and I would offer it as a playbook to to any business. So Amy Mansu, the head of the CEO, who many of you know, came to me one day, and she and I went in a room and sat down and talked. And she said, "Look, I'm in healthcare. I'm taking over this hospital system, and I have a need. You fill in the blank. Health, and name it, name it, and name it." Prior to that conversation, uh, right before the pandemic, actually a few years, some of my staff and I entertained a conversation with the head of respiratory therapy of Inspira Hospital. He came to me and he said that we have only X number of respiratory therapists coming through and working in our system. Why is this a key point example, as I offer it to any CEO or any business person, is you all have a need of a critical area. And your question is, where are you going to get it? We tried to answer that briefly, quickly. When I sat with Frank Bender and we talked about this, I was then introduced to uh, Annalise McFenneman, who's here, HR director. We now have the program called HR Direct, and I'll close on that point. Inspira sat there and talked to me about a lack of respiratory therapists in Southern New Jersey. Then this thing called a pandemic hit. And oh my, we don't have a school that develops respiratory therapists or provides them in our region. I think only a few, if any, in our state. And we are now in a virus of a pulmonary disease that is killing record numbers of Americans and we have no response, let alone therapists to treat these people. And it's still going on today. COVID is still here. So my point to this is I got a big tattoo right on the middle of my forehead that said, go back to that day you sat there and a, and a business came in your door, sat you down and said, we need this and we need it critically before we put gasoline on that fire. Now, as a result of that conversation, Initially, we talked to our partner, the BSRT, the Bachelor of Science in Respiratory Therapy, is now a reality to us, to them. We have solved this problem, but what what that means to me and hopefully to you is we must preemptively go in a room between business leaders. I love HR directors. I actually get the most advice, pardon my staff, the most advice I get (laughs) from an HR director who comes in and says, Fred, look at this, my business, in this case, it's health, or in my opinion, cannabis, yes, win, yes, we're players too. But selfishly, we lean toward health. And in doing so, found a partner in Inspira that said, let's talk so quickly, what are the components of that relationship? The most important is what we call HR Direct, to the points made by Thomas Edison and others. This workforce that's out there with some college, some training, they don't know what to do with it stopouts in our vocabulary that we have to find a way and New Jersey's trying to get them back to be continued. While we try, we have to look at traditional individuals coming up 18 year old high school. First of all, quantitatively, as I said earlier, there's less of them. Qualitatively inside that less of them is even a limitation through two years of pandemic education in their lap. And now you got what you got. So we're struggling and you are struggling in your industry. 
So when these two come together and these two wires connect, the idea was for Inspira was our entire workforce at Inspira now has to have the opportunity to go back to school and advance their education, pathway driven. And in doing so, it doesn't cost them anything. It's a perk of employment, which back in my day was part of the deal, which fell away when businesses stepped away from paying for the advancement of the education of their workforce. Recession kind of crushed it. So with this uh, rethinking of that, now you can become a nurse for nothing. And maybe you should become a teacher for nothing. You should become a policeman for nothing. That we take away the barrier of cost, completely take it away. How? We reduce to get the student body. They pay in as an employer and they contribute to. Most importantly, it's driven by HR or it's pathway driven. The hundreds of people since we merged with Inspir under this one consideration uh, already now have come into the college and are pursuing education. We can only take them so far, then we turn them over. But the point we're making is every employee now knows you have a chance to re-enter. So this idea of career path and ladder climb, before we get to unemployed, underemployed, we're looking at now military and prison for individuals coming out, entering into our workforce that you are going to have to, and we are going to have to help you educate because we don't have a workforce without this. So it's a different way of thinking it. The second consideration is the business gave us a multi-million dollar, as did virtually here, with the understanding that research and development was part of the deal, prong two, meaning half that money goes to people to be tuition relief to come into the arena of health. And the other half of it goes to, we need respiratory therapists, we need R&D, we have to develop the program and the accreditation. We put that money toward that. You have to put skin in our game. So by doing that with Inspira, we are now developing surgical technicians, medical techs, biotechs. The technician is the word of the, of the day. That level of employment that's not quite up here, but not quite down there. And I'm proud to say that the first graduate of this relationship with Inspira was a gentleman in, in the custodial division that needed a GED. We can do that too. So we got that individual, the GED, for the high school requirement to even be employed by them, up to nursing and or therapist. So my point in the relationship with Inspira in summary is that this was a marriage. Amy and I joked and I said, you know, we need to go to the altar. This can't be an engagement. It's got to be a marriage. And in doing so, it is that way. This is what I would preach to those of you in business. You have to come to the altar. And we have to be there to receive you and say yes as well. And in doing it, we educate not what we think you need, but you tell us you need in finance. We're doing it in business now. We have another partnership coming up to be announced in a week or two from Ascend to Behavioral Health. South Jersey, Anthony Fabio, CEO, visionary like Amy, came in and said, Fred, I need 100 social workers. Our clinical base, the behavioral health of our society is broken. It's broken. We need people to help people, Mayor, people to help people. And in doing that, we don't have the people to do it. So they came to us and said, hey, that in spirit thing that you did, that's pretty unique. Can we do it? Yes. Okay. Research development, School of Social Work. Now we're getting into drug and alcohol, pain management with the Rowan School of Medicine on our campus. We're opening up the arena for people to help people. Back to the mayor's point. And with that in mind now, We've got another premier partner. We call them premier partners. And we are soon to announce another one with Ray Rustelli with Rustelli Food. Okay. 
you know, food science. I need people on the floor. They're not cutting that meat and, and veal with a knife as much as they are with a computer. And they need to know the technology of the computer and the machine in order to process the product before I get to logistics, transportation, and moving my product all over the world. Hey, can we get in that? Food science. So when you talk about emerging industry, you're all emerging industries. If you want to survive, you're going to need a workforce. We don't have it. We don't have it. And we have a behavioral issue that's pounding down on top of the quality of our students because many of them are dropping out because the generation right now. I know. Thank you, Brad. I'm yes, out. we got to keep moving. Yes. <laughs> I, I am going to jump, uh, jump uh, the other end. The light went red. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see the light. All right. Um, I will uh, jump to Philip. Um, you know, at Rutgers Camden, we've, uh, we've really, every aspect of what we do is steeped in our mission and values. And what really drew me to your, uh, your institute uh, of education, research, and innovation is it is steeped in Samaritan's values and mission. So share with us a little bit about that um, that uh, that institute uh, and its objectives and how it's helping with the workforce development. Absolutely, thank you. So uh, Samaritan has always been focused on education and advocacy. We have our Institute for Education, Research and Innovation. Uh, and actually this past year when our CEO retired, uh, we named the Institute in honor of her. So now it's called the Marianne Baccalini Institute for Education, Research and Innovation. Uh, because part of her vision and part of our vision is to ensure that we're providing education not only to our employees, but also to the community. Uh, we have a number of partnerships that we have actually with Rowan University uh, School of Business, as well as the uh, Rowan uh, School of Osteopathic Medicine, in which we uh, started uh, over 10 years ago, uh, the first uh, fellowship in palliative uh, medicine. Uh, and. Uh, we also have uh, business school students who are partnering with us and helping us advance our diversity, uh, equity, and, and uh, inclusion initiatives as well. Uh, so that's part of what the Institute does uh, on the education side. On the research side, what we felt was very important, even though we've been in this community since 1980, we've been 43 years in our, in our community, what was important was that we weren't just patting ourselves on the back saying we do a good job, but we wanted, make, we wanted to make sure that we had peer-reviewed research that said, hey, you guys are doing an amazing job. And so we have articles uh, this month, our first peer-reviewed articles going out into the Journal of Hospice and Palliative Nursing. Uh, and then we have another article that's going out into uh, the Journal of Interdisciplinary Education and Practice. Uh, because it's important to understand the role that we play in our community, where people are at the most vulnerable uh, parts or times in their lives that they need someone to come alongside them. And that's what we do. Uh, but we don't just do it on the hospice side. We've expanded services where we now, uh, in addition to our palliative medicine practice, in which we can provide care inpatient in the hospital setting and outpatient in their home setting, we also have uh, home visit physicians. Uh, yes, we do doctors visits in the homes again. Uh, and so we're excited about that. Uh, that's helping us to reach more people uh, in more ways uh, outside of just hospice care. Uh, and then uh, we continue to provide that support uh, with other organizations such as the Medical Society of New Jersey, such as the New Jersey Hospital Association and the Goals of Care Coalition. 
these conversations may sound very complex and very difficult. And, uh, you know, those are uncomfortable conversations. I don't want to have those. But we have those conversations when it's prenatal care. We have those conversations when you're making decisions to buy a house. So we need to start having those conversations at end of life as well, uh, because all of us are getting older. And that's a, a, a date that most of us don't want to discuss. <laughs> um, but it is important. And uh, I think that uh, those are ways in which uh, the Institute helps. And then finally, one of the things, uh, and it's interesting, Dr. Keating, what you were saying about um, you know, partnerships within SPIRA and Ascenda, one of the things that we're doing is we have people who come to us and they say, I'm a, I'm a home health aide, but I want to be an RN. You know, how do I get there? Well, we can say, well, we have our tuition reimbursement program, but how do we accelerate that? We do that training, we identify uh, individuals, and we can't identify every individual. So this is a special selection of an individual or two that we can carry through so that the CNAs can become RNs. And we are proud to say that we have a couple of folks who have gone through uh, our program. Uh, they've uh, become uh, RNs and they're now working for it, uh, in that capacity, as opposed to the capacity that they came in under. And then we have other individuals who may have come in as a CNA and we try to create the pathways uh, that will allow them to seek other opportunities. We have an individual who started as a home health aide. She now works in our human resources department as that was her desire. And she has a college degree as well. So um, creating new opportunities, uh, new uh, and innovative ideas and the Institute allows us to do that. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully this year we'll uh, be able to do even more partnerships, more innovative things. And I've been given the five-minute signal from Ryan, so I do want to shift a little bit, uh, Meredith, a question for you. You referred to 110 and um, and and how that's kind of you know taking jobs um, um, and and with a goal of putting a, a million uh, black workers into the workforce with living wages. Um, we're also seeing at the same time that state, a lot of state governments like Maryland and recently Pennsylvania uh, have actually taken some of their jobs and removed college requirements from them. Um, and that I, I believe as in Pennsylvania, there's about 65,000 jobs now with the state government, which do not now require a college degree. In higher education, it's kind of shaken us up a little bit. Some see it as a positive thing. Some see it not as a positive thing. Um, I wanted to get your take on it, especially with the adult learners um, and the student body that your institution serves. Certainly, it's, it's, it's a disruptive time in higher education. It's a disruptive time in hiring. We are seeing a tremendous number of um, employers and states say, do we need the degree? Are we limiting ourselves too much for some of these jobs? Maryland, I'd like to say, got rid of the degree, yet upped their funding for higher ed. So it was a great combination to say, we we believe that you can be a productive worker, but we also believe in the long-term value of higher ed. Um, but it is, we're in this weird shift right now. I don't know how many people have heard of chat GPT. Oh, yes. <laughs> that What that has done to education is out of this world. For those who have not, when you're when you're free, go Google Chat GPT. It's an AI tool that industry is so excited about because they can find answers immediately. They can save so much time in doing their work. Then and it's that same type of collaboration that we value in industry that we don't value in higher ed. It's that artificial intelligence. We do not value that in higher ed. 
So for us to get in sync with these now um, students that are going directly into the workforce and are starting to then build their education, higher ed, we're going to have to change the mold and say, it's not the sage on the stage. And we've been saying this for 50 years, but we haven't moved far enough to it. Because when you start looking at that new demographic, that new working student, they come in and say, what do you mean I can't go to resources? Nowhere on my job would they say, we value you absolutely not collaborating, not validating with outside resources, not using technology. And so they're coming at us and saying, wait a minute, you're not in sync at all. The skills you're trying to teach me will not make me successful on the job. And, and that's a challenge for higher ed. So it's not an answer, but it's the move that working with industry, working in higher ed, we should not expect our students to be successful in a vacuum because that is not how this world works. And if you go out now, I can speak to my traditional colleagues. I'm sure you're spending a lot of time figuring out how to deal with AI now and who's doing the learning. And we as institutions and employers have to say, where does it matter? How do we build in the pieces we need? How do we keep the learning going? I will add one thing that I'm starting to hear from employers. And 110, by the way, was founded out. Merck was one of the big starters in this. Um, but I'm hearing from employers now who say, we want to promote people. They're short on communication skills. They're short on critical thinking. And so, though, again, that we just got to make sure we're not shutting the door on this population who put trust in the system, went straight to work, and then said, wait a minute, now I can't move. So we have to work collaboratively to say, keep, keep people moving up. Let's make all people good New Jersey taxpayers and keep our system strong because we won't do it if we don't come together during this huge time of disruption. Great. I'm going to wrap up with my final question, um, which really is is uh, brings this panel together, is what makes for, if you can each speak to one thing uh, that makes for a successful university and corporate partnership, and if you can keep your, your comments to about 45 seconds at the most, <laughs> one thing that makes university and corporate partnerships work, and, and we'll begin with them. Yeah, I'll take Fred's 45 seconds anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, he's to I, I defer to the senator from Rowan. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I'll tell you what, what, what makes these partnerships work is because if you heard every single one of Fred's comments was start with the industry, finish with Rowan and him as the intermediary. And I can tell you every single one, he talked about respiratory therapy that, you know, that's actually the final accreditation visit is today. So the, the students will be enrolled in the fall. They're, they're, they're visiting right now. That partnership, Rowan, RCSJ, Virtua, Inspira, Jefferson, Cooper, competitors, right? Not, not in that world. We're all working together to put, to put each other in the seat. Same thing. He could talk Ascenda, RCSJ, Rowan School of Social Work. Just these ideas come and we work together. And, and, and when you have partnerships, like that, it becomes very easy when when the provost at one university can finish the sentence for the president uh, from the county college. That's that that shows you these partnerships work, and and we're we're ready to go. And I I you know, I I'll give a one more example of a great partnership that I think is 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 being driven by industry and something we're extremely proud of. And I forgot I I should be preaching this today, but you know we're we're excited to be opening in. Uh, how many months? 18 months. The the first school of veterinary medicine, much long needed in, in the state of New Jersey. And we forget we're still a pretty big agriculture on animal state. And yet a state our size, we've been exporting our 
students to every other state in in the U.S. to get in out of the U.S. to get their degrees in veterinary medicine. And then we have no veterinary technicians. We have no veterinarians. We no have no longer the mom and pop small small corner vets. So between the industry, between the state, between the county colleges, between the county shelters and clinics, you know, we all banded together and in in less than two years, we're going to have a beautiful new school of veterinary medicine that's going to train the vets for our region. It's going to train the folks with the business skills to support this industry in the region. And it's going to train the veterinary technicians at our at our two-year schools to to support these clinics. So those are our partnership work. So we get the idea to the door, uh, build an ecosystem, uh, Meredith. Uh, I would say just as the mayor shared what a plethora of um, opportunities around career industry we have in Southern New Jersey, there's a plethora of academic opportunities from college credit, community colleges, workforce development, one-stop shops, uh, research universities. It's, it's the ongoing communication with industry and the honest feedback. The other piece is if it's not working, don't just shut down. Go back and say, hey, wait, we're still missing something in the skills that we need. We're still go into that door room, shut the door and have the conversation, keep the communications going. But I would push, as I look around this room, there's a lot of institutions. There's a lot of people who are in workforce development. You, you're rich, Southern New Jersey. It, it's a great, it's a resource. I'm not sure you fully appreciate it. And with five seconds, I'll say intentional collaboration. And with that, I don't think I could have said it any better. Intentional collaboration. This is a great place. Thank you, Invest South Jersey and Capital Analytics for this. And uh, we look forward to the next panel. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Maloney. Thank you for tuning in.